0: I've become convinced that if we as individuals are going to grow in the grace, knowledge of Jesus Christ, that if we as a church family are going to lean into the grace and the truth and the life and the love of our Savior, we have to do and we have to understand discipleship differently than we presently do. And so we're in this series, Deep Discipleship, Becoming Like Jesus, And I dare say that sermons all across the globe, all around the world, that preachers every Sunday, probably 90% of sermons are following, falling into about five different categories. That is, sermons are trying to do a bit different things with different purposes, and here are those five categories. Every Sunday, probably two billion people come, and what are they going to hear? Some variation of these five different ideas, an idea to be explained, a proposition to be proved, a principle to be applied, aspects of a different theme to be explored, like if we would go have a sermon series on salvation, we could talk about election and predestination and justification and sanctification and glorification. That's aspects of a theme to be explored. Or finally, fifthly, a story to be told. In other words, every Sunday, two billion Christians are asking these questions. What is it? What is it true? Or why should I believe it? So what? How can you do that? What are the aspects of it? And how do you live in it? Last week, where we were at with the rich young ruler? We were at A story to be told and I was trying to help us put the rich young ruler as a mirror to our lives and I was suggesting that we often walk away from this life-changing invitation of Jesus come and follow me because our self-sufficient lives make us callous to our deeper needs for God so we are prone, I think, to be just like this rich young ruler, apathetic to God, callous to our deeper needs for God. And if we stay on this self-sufficient path long enough, we eventually become bored with God. Next week, the following weeks, I'm going to harp on number three category, principle to be applied. In other words, for the next four weeks, I'm going to be asking the question, so what? How do you do it? How do you become like Jesus? I want to apply these things to our lives in four different lessons. But today, I want to tackle uh, idea and category number one. In other words, what is it? What is it? And I think we skirt over this question far too easily and far too quickly. What is it? What is discipleship? It is good to know what a thing is. Especially when this, this thing is so central to our lives of following Christ. Especially when it's so central to our entire church. Discipleship. What is it? Discipleship has become such a buzzword that often Bud's words lose all sort of relevance and meaning for our lives. And so I don't know if you have ever thought, what is discipleship? It should seem that all churches should have a good and deep grasp about what it is, but I think church discipleship is often like this. It's a bit like starting out on a long road trip. But at mile marker one, you realize you've lost the address. So you have no clue where you are going. But you say, no difference. For the next thousand miles, I'm just going to wander around. And so you take this turn, and you go up that hill, and you take that road. And by golly, by God's grace alone, you happen to see some real cool stuff along the way. Right, You come to church, you do worship, you're in this group, or you come to this event. But maybe, just maybe, in the back of your mind is the lingering question, am I really on the path? Am I really on the right road of discipleship? Discipleship seems too important for me to not know if I'm really following Jesus and living a life of discipleship. And some folks, because they do not know the destination, after a while they eventually become restless because a long journey to nowhere at the end of the day seems rather pointless and futile. That is, without knowing the defining marks of discipleship, without knowing the goals of discipleship, the whole journey can be rather pointless. Why am I even bothering with this? Added to this confusion, there's a lot uh, of confusion about what discipleship is. There's a lot of different methods. There's a lack of basic clarity about what is disciple. What is a disciple? Some approaches to discipleship do this. Hey, I'm just going to fill your heads with a bunch of knowledge. And so you think, oh, I guess discipleship is just knowing a lot of things in the Christian life. Maybe that's discipleship. And then someone else comes along and says, no, no, no. Discipleship is about a relationship. And they say, you know, it basically like six guys getting together on a Sunday night watching football. If those guys are all Christians, that you know, the discipleship just sort of happens. It's like spontaneous combustion. It just sort of magically appears in your life. And you're thinking, man, that sounds pretty good too. <laughs> if St. Pat Mahomes is playing. <laughs> so today, I want to say this there's a basic lack of clarity about what it is. And so today I want to give you the simplest sermon that I've preached in a very long time. And some of you are saying it's about time. The simplest sermon, because I want to be very, very clear. I want everyone going home in their cars saying that was so simple, yet it seemed to come from the word of God. Wouldn't that be great if we could be very, very clear about a very, very important issue? Have you noticed that sometimes there might be this thing happening in our culture that's a big thing, and we haven't been very clear about what it is? That leads to a few problems. Can I have an amen? So today, very simple, even though we know that this is a very, very hard to live out, this life of following Jesus. So I want to give you three defining marks, and then I want to give you three goals of discipleship. The three defining marks are this. Discipleship is rational. Discipleship is relational. Discipleship is missional. First, discipleship is rational. Being a disciple means embarking on a quest to be a lifelong learner. Learner. How do I get at that uh, idea? The very word for disciple in the Greek means pupil, apprentice, student, and learner. In other words, those disciples on the Sea of Galilee were signing up for a lifelong adventure of being students and apprentices of Jesus, people who are teachable, people who are curious about who God has revealed himself to be. I don't know about you, but I still remember the best piece of marriage advice that I ever received was from Larry Crabb about 11 years ago. He told me this, be curious about your wife. Be a student of your wife. It's also been the hardest advice I've ever received, Because however many years God gives Lisa and I, there will still be layers of Lisa to unravel and to know. And so part of my job as a husband is to be curious about my wife. I can't serve her. I can't love her if I don't know her. If there's not a deep knowledge of her, I can't live out being a faithful and good husband. And loving spouse. I should be very curious of all the subjects that God would place before me. My wife is at the very, you know, like maybe not the first, but like second on the list. I should be very curious about her if I want to know her and love her. And so it is with God. We are to be curious in being an apprentice and a pupil of Jesus. We are to have a humbleness about us. God, I don't know everything. Please teach me. You begin to think, well, if Jesus taught his disciples about God, about prayer, about the kingdom, about obedience, about faith, and he used parables and stories and sermons and every manner of things, then Jesus knew that there was a rational aspect to our life of discipleship. And so discipleship is rational. Second, discipleship is relational. If I would ask 100 Christians, why did Jesus appoint the 12 apostles? What would you say? Some of you are thinking, oh, boy, he's just stopping. He doesn't usually do that. This, this making us nervous. You could say, well, maybe he, what? He chose the 12 to start the church. What else? Make disciples, heal the sick, spread the love of God, embodied By him. But in Mark 3, Jesus actually gives us the reason. He goes up on a mountain. Luke's gospel adds adds that Jesus spends the whole night in prayer. And many people think, well, he was praying for who he was going to choose. Who are the 12 apostles going to be? And this is how Mark 3 puts it. And he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might, what? Be with him and send them out to preach. The first task, the central task, the most important task, the task from which all others flow is this, to be with Jesus. And so some of you very cynically could be, uh, are you saying, pastor, that Discipleship is not rocket science. I'm telling you, it's not even brain surgery, right? A disciple finds ways to be with Jesus consistently, constantly, becoming aware of his presence that is always with you. And so Jesus calls his disciples to a very important thing in the life of discipleship, be with me. Later, after the resurrection, Peter and John, who were part of the 12, are preaching that Jesus rose from the dead. And Peter and John, uh, through their ministry, this lame beggar receives healing. And the Jewish council has these rebels arrested and brought before them. And even there, Peter starts to preach salvation to this Jewish council. There is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved but it's very very interesting what luke records in luke and acts chapter 4 verse 13 this is what he says when they the jewish council saw the boldness of peter and john and perceived that they were uneducated common men they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I ask you, is that not the most amazing compliment you could ever receive? Right? People outside the church, they notice something about you. They notice. Hartley, Drew, Nathan, we see that you are common uneducated people. But there's something about them that's so important. They have been with Jesus. And these were the folks that were opposing Peter and John. Can you imagine people where you shop, your neighborhood, the place where you work, your friends? They begin to notice something about you. There's an aroma to your life. They don't know what it is, but they just put their finger on it like this. You seem to be a person who has been with Jesus. That would be an amazing, amazing compliment to your life of discipleship. So, discipleship is rational, discipleship is relational, discipleship is missional. Matthew 28 The Great Commission. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I've said it before, but I'll say it again because some of you might have missed that Sunday. Make disciples is the central command of the Great Commission. It's surrounded by three participles in the Greek, it could really be translated, as you go, as you teach, as you baptized, here's the lone command, make disciples. This is the clearest instructions for the post-resurrection disciples. Make disciples. That's the lone command of the Great Commission. But here's what's also interesting to notice about that command. It is in the second person plural. If Jesus was saying this in the south, he would have said it like this, all y'all make disciples of me, right? But since our versions of the Bible is written in English and not in southern or not in Texan, not in Mississippian, right? You miss it. But the point is this, all the disciples were given the command that day Make disciples. And so, if we want to be a great commission church, if we want to be great commission Christians, if we want to obey the last words of Jesus, if we want to be true disciples of Jesus, then we are all called to make disciples. Every single disciple, every single Christian has a calling on their lives to make disciples. When I counsel a young person who is asking, oh, what should I do with my life? Should I go here or should I go there? Should I marry this person or that person? All that is secondary because we all have an overbearing command, a commission. Make disciples. If you go to that college or that, if you marry this person, you're still going to have this central calling to make disciples. Not just Peter, as a leader, is called to make disciples. Not just the inner three, Peter, James, and John. Well, you think, well, maybe it was, you know, Andrew and James, and they were especially gifted at, at Bible knowledge. Maybe Jesus is just singling them out for making disciples. No, all them, all those disciples who heard the words of Jesus had this central calling, and so it is with us. You are called to make disciples. So the defining marks of discipleship is that discipleship is rational, relational, and missional. It's like a three-legged stool. And if you're missing one leg of a three-legged stool, you ain't got a stool. You got a sore backside from when you fall off of it, right? And same is true for discipleship. What leg, oh Christian, are you missing in the life of discipleship? What leg do you need to tighten the screws for your life of discipleship? Perhaps it's the rational part. You know that you need to grow in the knowledge of who God is, what the Bible says about God and about the kingdom, about Jesus. Maybe it's the relational part. You recognize I need to put my life more and more in front of God, who will then transform my life. Maybe it's a missional part. When I ask, who is your disciple, a blank canvas appears in your life. You might need to lean into the missional part. How do you know when discipleship is happening, the three marks of discipleship? And biblically, I also think, though there is somewhat of an overlap, that there are three main goals for the life of discipleship. In other words, what are we to pursue as we follow Jesus? How do we know we're on the road? Let me give you three main images for the goals of discipleship. An image, a fruit, and a multiplication. Can you get this? There will be a quiz on the way out. Image, fruit, multiply. Those are the three images, which are the three goals of discipleship. The first goal of the life of discipleship is to reflect an image. And you know you don't see an image in the watermelon. If I have to spell this out anymore for you, uh, come up afterwards. I will take my belt off and whip you, right? Right? <laughs> That wasn't in the notes. Genesis 1, God says, let me make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Let me tell you this, friends. If you are not astonished by that, it only means you have grown accustomed to it and callous. You've heard it way too many times. Genesis 5, just a few chapters later, Moses uses similar language again. He says, when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. And you think, wow, it's pretty easy to believe that Seth was made in the image of his physical father, Adam, like begets like. But then you notice, Genesis is saying something revolutionary and something ridiculous if you think about it. Moses is using the very same words to describe the relationship of the God of the universe, the God who made galaxies, supernatural God, to a natural human being. The infinite God places his stamp His very image upon finite creatures. So when Philip says to Jesus many, many years later, Lord, show us the Father, what does Jesus say? Don't you know, Philip, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, Jesus is saying, Philip, if you look carefully at me, you will have seen the Father since I am the Father's perfect Image. There's no better way of seeing God than to look at Jesus the Son. And so Paul in the New Testament indicates that this image of God needs to be restored in us since it was damaged at the fall so that we are transformed to be who we were created to be. And don't you know? And don't you understand that in our world, millions of people are spending millions of dollars trying to be who they were created to be. They're at the self help section of the bookstore. Do bookstores still exist? They're on web pages. They're going to self help rallies and seminars to be who they were created to be. And they miss this because here's God's solution if you want to be who you're created to be, You are made to reflect an image. And the image you can see so clearly is Jesus Christ. Paul says that Christ is the image of the invisible God. And so a couple places in Paul, he gives us, he puts the cookies on the bottom shelf. Romans chapter 8. This is often called the, um, the golden chain of salvation. He talks about predestination and justification. There's this golden chain all the way to glorification. But in the midst of that, he gives you a purpose that should define our lives of discipleship. He says this, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, what? To be conformed to the image of his Son. He says it again, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image. This is the first goal of discipleship, to reflect an image. When you first come to Christ, the reflection that you give to God of His Son may be rather blurry. It might be like one of those circus mirrors that you go and you look at yourself and you're like, whoa, I put on some white here. I'm too fat here. And then you look in the next mirror and you're, well, too, th- too thin. And you're like, um, I'm going to take this off and bring it to my home, the skinny mirror. Put it right there. But that's really the goal of discipleship, that progressively from when you come to Christ to after years of on this road of discipleship, that slowly but surely, when God would take this mirror and he would look at your life. What does he want to see? He doesn't want to see just Jason in the flesh. He wants to see his own face, Jesus' face reflected in my life. And so it is with the life of discipleship. The first goal of discipleship is to reflect an image. The second goal of discipleship is to become a watermelon. Second goal is to bear fruit. Now, you could get at this second goal of discipleship in many different places in the Bible. The, the uh, James, uh, the epistle would say it like this, faith apart from works is dead. Paul would say it a little differently. Paul would say it like this, you were, are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. Or you could say it the same way Jesus said it in John chapter 15. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And then Jesus says this, there's a way that you have in your life to prove to be my disciples. Oh, I can prove to you, Jesus, that I'm a disciple. That would be interesting to know. This is what he says in verse 8. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciple. Fruit bearing, in other words, is intrinsic to following Christ. Fruit bearing is an essential goal of discipleship. Fruit is not an optional extra or maybe like an appendix to the life of discipleship. It's not an added bonus for only those super special Christians. It's the life of every Christian. We are all called to become watermelon. To be, I mean, to be fruit-bearing disciples, right? It's essential to our nature. A couple months ago, I planted three papaya trees, even though everybody says, you know, the sprinkler is going to kill them. Uh, just don't water. I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my own test with this. $60, bam. By golly, they are growing. And the, the sprinklers aren't killing them but if they started to die, what would I do? Whoosh! I would kill them. Sound effects are $5 at the door, right? I would want to prune them so that they actually bear fruit. And so it is with Jesus. He wants you to bear fruit, whether in your family, whether in your workplace, whether in your neighborhood, whether in your church. Fruit bearing is an essential part of following Jesus. Third goal, the life of discipleship is to know math, right? This is bringing, this is giving you some of you PTSD, right? I can tell. Math, again, you are called, the third goal is to multiply by making disciples of Jesus. Drew read Matthew chapter 4, which really can be likened to a mini commentary on the life of discipleship. I could have just preached this one verse and described the whole life of discipleship. You can break it down. Let me get the next slide. Follow me. What does that imply? It implies a relational connection to Jesus. In other words, Jesus is saying, I want you so close to me that when I stop, you stop. When I go, you go. Follow me is this relational connection that we all should have to Jesus. And then Jesus says, follow me, I will make you. In other words, you don't transform yourself. You probably already know this, because if you have a bad habit, you can't even stop, you know, chewing your toe, you know toenails. You're like, who chews their toenails? There are some of you out there, I know, in a crowd this size. At least some of you are chewing your your fingernails or having some other bad habit, and you're like, oh, I just can't stop eating or doing this or whatnot. You can't even change yourself. Jesus is the one who always transforms your life, and so you're called to what? Put your life before God again and again so that he will do his transforming work. Follow me. I will make you fishers of men, which implies that this Ministry of multiplication is part and parcel of the discipleship call. And so a disciple is this, one who follows Jesus intimately, embraces a surrendered life to the transforming work of Christ, and one who lives a life multiplying that makes disciples of Jesus. So I ask you again, who is your disciple? Who are your disciples? Where is multiplication happening in your life? You see, the disciples of Jesus that received these words, come follow me, I will make you fishers of men. They're on the Sea of Galilee. None of them were like this. Okay, Jesus, um, I'm going to sign up for the image part, but I'm really just going to say I'm a hard no on the the fishers of men part. Just got to be upfront about you. I'm uh, I'm okay with this, you know. I'd love to be more like you. You seem like a pretty cool dude to follow around. Like I don't, you know, I I didn't like fishing anyway. I really this is like way more cool. But you know, when you start telling me about multiplication, that's where I draw the line. None of them said that. All of them understood that these three goals went together: image, fruit bearing, and multiplication. All the the goals were meant to be lived together. First goal, to reflect an image. Second, to bear fruit. Third, to multiply. There will be a quiz on the way out. We just want to provide these three images so that we have a common lexicon and vocabulary. When we say discipleship, we know what it is. What is it? What are we trying to do in our lives and in our church family? These are the three images I want to leave you here today. Let's pray.